Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage for how these random interviews materialize, plus travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. Your support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Radio. Hello, all you oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and this episode I have a chat with Rebecca Dragertha. Rebecca is awesome. She was looking up how to code Excel spreadsheets when we showed up. Rebecca and her husband helped plan mountain biking events. And the whole family is tracking their sugar intake. You would never have guessed that Rebecca grew up in a religious community. Yes, like the ones that hit the news. But luckily, the kids were never abused like the more famous examples. The biggest problem was when her parents decided to leave that also meant leaving everything. So how did Rebecca get to coding Excel sheets? Well, I guess you'll just have to listen to find out. And with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rebecca Trakertha. So Rebecca, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We're very excited to have you on. We're in this beautiful town in the middle of the South Island, New Zealand called Christchurch. And I got to say, this is such a welcome change to, well, a new chapter for me and Jackie coming from Southeast Asia and the bustle and all the diesel fumes that are constantly in the air to this just everything is beautiful here. And thank you for welcoming us into your home. This was such a wonderful experience. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's immediately from the, the moment that we stepped in when we were hanging out with Jennifer and Joel and they were pulling vegetables from the garden. Of course, we're kind of two weary travelers bringing our bags in. And I feel like that is almost the mentality of Christchurch in New Zealand as a whole. Everyone is so open here and so incredibly nice. We get that a lot about New Zealanders in general. Yeah, it, even on the bus, the, everyone came on the bus and said thank you to the bus driver. The bus driver greeted them. When they walked off, they said thank you. And we're like, oh, man, <laughs> this is a whole different world than when we were just in. So it's, yeah, been wonderful. And you grew up here. So you are a true... Christchurchian. I guess that's how you would say it. Sure. I don't think we'd ever use that term, but sure. <laughs> yeah. And you, so in New Zealand, for everyone else in the world, is this amazing, beautiful island. And, but this is home to you. So Absolutely. But I love it. And I'm always horrified when people who live here haven't looked around New Zealand. There's people that haven't looked around New Zealand that Absolutely, live here. Absolutely, and I think they're missing out on so much. How is that even possible? It happens. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. It, even at home, there's people that don't venture out into yeah. the U.S., so I guess that makes sense. But I'm excited. This is before we go on our epic van trip across New Zealand. So if the rest of the country is even close to what Christchurch is, which I'm sure it is, we're going to have a really that's good time. <laughs> if it's even better than I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Probably just walk around all day. Okay, well, let's find out 
what life in Christchurch or New Zealand or what your life was like. Let's dive in. So you were born here in Christchurch. Yeah. Lived for about three years. And of course, you were so young, you didn't really know like life with Christchurch life before you moved out of the city for about an hour away, you said? Yeah, that's right. So we moved into a small rural community. I think there was the primary school I went to. The role was about 100 kids. Oh, so 100 kids in the entire primary school. So much smaller community. Do you know the population of the community? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It was a lot. You were really, really young. So so you were living in rural Christchurch and... What what was like a normal day for you there? So as as growing up, obviously outdoors is such a big part of this culture. And growing up, was that a huge part of your upbringing too? Of course, were you always outside? What what yeah, was a normal was always, childhood day? I was always outside, and I love exploring. Um, and even as an adult, then. I really love just clambering over trees and through undergrowth and, I don't know, having little adventures. Yeah, so did you just run out your door? Was there a favourite spot that you went to? Or you're just like, I'm going to just go out there and see what happens today? Yeah, so I had a, um, a creek that was quite close to me, which I used to spend many hours down at uh, building dams and climbing up the banks using tree roots and going to other places the railway yards were on the other side of me so we used to often put the uh, little carts onto the tracks and push them up and down which the railway people didn't really like so just to (laughs) padlock them up (laughs) but it was lots of fun yeah just normal kid stuff push climbing trees where did you get these railroad carts were they just sitting there (laughs) uh yeah they were we used to just lift them onto the tracks they're about the size of the dining table yeah, so, you know, a couple... I mean, those are pretty big. Did, was, oh, you and a couple of friends that put yeah. them on there? Yeah. Fun. Please tell me it was one of those that you crank up and down. Uh, no, it wasn't. I just pushed them. <laughs> you just pushed them around. Of course, at the time, I thought that was the coolest thing. Like, oh, oh, that was yeah. great. Yeah. But not everybody's playground equipment. <laughs> yeah, not everyone's playground equipment, but, you know, it's better than nothing, of course. But yes, when, I, I love being outside, even... If it's just lying under a tree looking at the clouds or looking at the shapes that the wind makes in the trees or... Yeah. I find it pretty easy to entertain myself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's something really nice about that. I grew up in a, in a suburb of a city and didn't really have the outdoors as much. I mean, in Cincinnati had it. We would go to parks every now and then. And, and my parents are really good at going to parks, but we weren't just in the nature. I really wish we were, because there's something about that where you can sit outside and stare at the clouds and have a great time. <laughs> you know, you throw mud at your friends, you push railroad carts around. Like, yeah, we didn't really, I didn't really have that growing up. So it, do you think that really helped you later in life too, or just have that connection with nature or maybe, maybe not. It's a deep question. <laughs> I don't have a, a, a control. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I don't know. I I wish there was more of a connection, especially since growing up with the video game era was when I first started, kind of got sucked into it because I was a kid. I didn't know. Would you say that you push 
Jennifer and Joel, your two children, to have more of an outdoor connection to, even with all these distractions now? No, I haven't needed to because we've, we're a really close family and we've always just done everything together. So, for example, what I said to you before off air about when Craig being interested in mountain biking, then it was natural for me to just be involved in some way in that world because I didn't think it was any point in us having two separate interests. Yeah. Because um, apart from the fact that we work together, then we also do, we run our club together and we um, organise events and stuff together. And so we spend a lot of our time together, which gives us plenty to talk about. Right. And so we're always interacting. Yeah. And it's the same with the kids they are involved with. They have their own interests, but they're also involved with whatever we're doing. So because we've spent a lot of time building tracks, then they were always out there playing on the rocks and yeah, climbing the, the trees climbing and the trees. things. So just while we were out there. So Yeah, and it gives you a common language to talk about when you have interests. I know I noticed that with me and Jackie, I think, with Muay Thai, where we met, we have that common interest and that common language. That ends up being really important. And it sounds like you guys have established that in almost everything <laughs> that you do. I think that's probably, is that probably why you're so close, you think? Um, probably. Yeah, so the kids, I mean, they love being outside doing stuff. They've never been really interested in computer games or, I mean, Jennifer loves reading, which is. Which isn't a bad thing, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, it exposes you to a lot of other ideas and worlds and stuff, which you can lose yourself in and yeah. also just learn a whole lot so yeah it sounds like it's really well balanced and you know it, it's nice to have some of the most world-class mountain biking rock climbing and everything outdoors in your backyard or a couple hours away yeah. yeah it sounds like a perfect childhood and i know new zealand is such a fantasy for me but after talking to you offline it's also, you didn't exactly have the, a normal upbringing either, even for New Zealand standards or anywhere standards either. So it was before you got to this really close family, it was almost a chaotic family setting for you. Because when you moved yeah. to the rural area, you your family was then, you, you said in our pre-interview that it was by accident almost, but you got involved with a religious community in, yeah. in the so, town. Um so my parents were had some other friends that they did Bible studies, etc. with, um, and that just kind of grew. And then one guy uh, joined the group who thought that the leader of the group was more special than everybody else, and so he started raising him up and giving him special status. And then the group got a lot more legalistic and... Had a lot of rules and expectations associated with it. Yeah, so was your family involved in the beginning process yeah. of that? So they were one of the original groups that, that the group grew out of. So yeah, and it happened so fast, it seems like. One person or one someone else gave someone else praise, and then from there he grew into the leader of the group. And then, yeah. like you said, the roles started getting assigned and... All of a sudden, it was a community. Yeah, and I think people love to be, <laughs> to feel like they are part of an exclusive group. 
Yeah, I would agree. So that's just a basic human nature. And so if you've got people who are telling you that what they're doing is really important, then people buy into it. Yeah, you want to join. You want to be part of that importance. And what was that like for you? You were really young at the time. But do you remember yeah. how this was starting to happen and affect? Were were you aware of what was going on? or? Um, well, when you... Everybody just lives the life that they live, and so you're not really aware of, especially as a child, that other people live in different ways. And so your life is just your life, and you don't really know that it's not how everybody <laughs> lives. Um, oh, I love that. So, I love that line. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was just what it was. It was a normal day. Yeah. It was another day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as a child, then, even as a child, I'm not too fond of arbitrary rules and bureaucracy. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. And so even as a child, there were things that annoyed me. Even as a child, were you given roles that you had to do, like chores and things? Or? Um, not so much in the group. Except for stay out of the way. <laughs> but no. I am probably a natural leader and so I would coordinate all the kids and we would go and play hide and seek and build huts and play all sorts of games and we would be out for hours and I would be getting people kids muddy and stuff which some of the other kids were not impressed about because they would get told off by their parents yeah <laughs> my parents would let me do that so um we had fantastic playgrounds like forts and flying foxes and and there was all the natural environment as well with yeah so there was a lot of kids around too stuff. so yeah you were able to play with a bunch of kids yeah. and and lots of games where you need lots of kids so um yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is always the most fun. Yeah. Nothing like a good hide-and-seek game with 50 of your other friends. Yeah, exactly. And you lived... And so as a kid, it was obviously not so bad. There was probably a couple annoyances here and there, but normal childhood stuff. Yeah, and fun. And fun. Um, so we lived about three kilometers from where the community was based. And so we spent a lot of time there all weekend and... Tuesday, uh, sorry, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights. So we would only have Tuesday and Thursday nights for our own family time. Gotcha. So even as kids, while the parents were off at their meetings in the evening, then we would just be sleeping in the cars. Yeah, so it, it obviously a very heavy and almost duty to the group, or yeah. you needed to have a very active role if you only had two nights at home. Yeah, you didn't really have your own home life or time to plan your own things. And the adults were always very tired because they were kept up late and they had a lot of expectations on them. Yeah. And so you you lived this way too. It seems like growing up, it it was okay. You had a lot of your friends. You'd still play outside. You're kind of oblivious to what was going on in the group. But your parents one day, almost as a shock, Said it was a shock. <laughs> we're leaving. Yeah. yeah, and you had no idea. I had no warning, and I didn't get to say goodbye to anybody, and I had no idea what that would, what the future was going to hold at that point. Yeah. So, what was that yeah. day like for you? You were thirteen years old. 
Yeah. What what did they say to you? Or did you have any idea? No. It was completely out of the blue. And it was after school. Well, it was in the evening. And they just said, we're not going back. And I had two older sisters who were living on site at the community. And as far as I was concerned, I would never uh, see them again or interact with them again. So that was like having somebody die. And what and for you, it wasn't your choice. I mean, maybe you did have that choice to stay, but you really yeah. had to go with your parents. You were 13, you didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, growing up then, occasionally people would leave and I had, we talked about that and said, half oh, my parents who were left, then I would run away and come back. And But when we actually left, which I never expected, then that never crossed my mind. Yeah. You were ready to leave with your parents, no problem. Yeah, I, I yeah, <laughs> it was just a shock. I cried for three days. Well, it was a huge lifestyle change. And like you said, you didn't know anything was normal. These are your friends These yeah. that you grew up with. It's everything that you know. So that had happened on a Monday and at the weekend. Then mum and dad and my brother, we went out and did something together as a family, which was very rare. <laughs> And yeah, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. Maybe maybe it's not <laughs> yeah. so bad. You probably get yeah, it's to gonna be all right, so. spend a lot of time with your family. Yeah, and so things changed a lot at that point. Yeah. Do you think that was a piv- yeah, That seems like a very pivotal moment. Do you remember what you did together? Like, On that day? Well, yeah, was it simple? Um, was it, did you I guys go? Walk along the riverbed. Just walking <laughs> along the riverbed. So you guys really didn't even have that much time to, as a family, you know, go for a hike together no or it, it was almost their their involvement in the community was so separate that you didn't have that time with your parents before no so that's when you realized okay maybe this is a good thing that i can reconnect yeah of course it wasn't always so easy as we were talking before afterwards you know you have this uncertain future your entire life was in this community now you're out of it yeah so i was thankfully i had we had lived in a house that was outside of the community and I went to the local state school. So those things didn't change. So I, it wasn't like my entire life was uprooted. But I no longer had this group of people that I did everything with. And, yeah, I didn't fit into the world, <laughs> the outside community either because I still... Mentally, I still had all of the rules that come with being in a religious community. And also my parents were still quite strict. And so I wasn't free to go and do, to just change over. So I was kind of in a bit of a uh, limbo area. Yeah, what were those rules? What was it like growing up with those rules? What were the rules really entailed or how strict were they um so there was rules about what you could wear like I wasn't allowed to wear jeans or shorts um wasn't really meant to cut my hair when I was about 16 or 17 and I (laughs) got a fringe um which wow so you haven't haven't cut your hair your entire life I'm sure I was trimmed but uh yeah we had to have long hair so we didn't have a choice about that. Yeah. And 
while it might be the thing you would choose if you had a choice, when you don't have a choice, <laughs> then you yeah. think that it's... Then you want to do it, you want to break the rule. Yeah. Although I wasn't particularly rebellious in that kind of regard. Yeah. I was quite compliant. <laughs> but for me, liking boyish things of building huts and climbing in trees, then I would have really liked shorts. And in fact, I live in shorts now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, Much more freeing, right? You don't yeah. have to, when you and climb you, a tree, you don't get caught in anything. Oh, and you can't really play sport in a dress. Yeah. So those kind of things weren't options for me. Gotcha. So you weren't able to play sports or get involved in a lot of things because you couldn't wear shorts. You weren't allowed. Correct. So I did a lot of things with my brother. Like we'd go down to the local tennis court and I would pay play tennis with him. Um, that was the extent of yeah. outdoor activity. Apart from yeah. just roaming the hills or roaming the river or, or whatever on my own. Which goes a long way. Yeah. For sure. But it doesn't. But, you don't learn the teamwork yeah. dynamics or your, the ball school skills. Right, right. That And sports go a long way. Yeah, and so you always feel like you're inferior and not good enough to join in. So even casual games, then you feel a little bit awkward. <laughs> well, especially when you're in your teen, like your teen years, which is always an awkward age for everybody, on top of if you want to play a sport, you have to play a sport with kids that have been doing that, learning the skills since five years old. Also, you're in a new school. You're, it seems like this area was just a massive limbo. It was a massive transition. And your old friends, did they talk to you? Did they even know your existence? Um, I, it actually wasn't as bad as I expected and that some of them did still talk to me at school. But... But outside of that, you probably weren't able to see them at all. No. No, I didn't have anything to do with them otherwise. And they were different ages to me at school, and so I didn't really interact with them yeah. at school. So that actually wasn't as hard to adjust to as what I had expected. Yeah. So yeah. So it was, you were expecting a lot harder, but it still seems like it wasn't exactly easy. You had to start over, get all of your friends, or your friends were there, but you couldn't play with them you couldn't hang out with them anymore and you had to almost start over in a new group that you yeah. almost well, didn't want exist. to navigate yeah. yeah so i did um i did have a youth group that i they were probably my new group of friends but it they had all sorts of backgrounds which was not something i was familiar with and and also we didn't get together that often so it wasn't a really close group and also being in a rural community you can only get together when your parents drive you somewhere yeah and so and your friends might live 20 minutes drive away or half an hour's drive away that's very true and they're not next door no and so your interaction with them is only by pre-arrangement yeah you don't you don't just do things spontaneously right you have to okay we're going to meet up on thursday next week yeah. and you have time we need the ride, one of our parents to take us there and pick yeah. us up. So I didn't have it's any difficult. friends who lived in my town. And yeah. back in those days, it was a toll call <laughs> to ring even yeah. at the next town. And so... Yeah, um, so it was difficult. It was yeah. difficult. How did you manage this situation? Because, you know, teen years are very hard in general. Yeah, I don't... Let alone this pretty substantial transition to I don't a new think... life. 
that I actively tried to manage it, I was just compliant. I lived with my parents, and so I just did what they wanted. Um, and then when I finished school, then I moved into Christchurch, and that um, changed everything. Yeah, I was going to say, so this also seems like a pretty big transition because you started in a really strict community and then still outside of it it was very hard and you had to parents were still strict you lived with your parents you did what your parents well I mean most kids this is what happens and then you're thrown out into the world you move to Christchurch and now I'm sure they weren't too far away so you weren't completely on your own but the most unknown you've ever been in your entire life so then yeah. what happened next? What, did you find an apartment? Was it an easy transition? Was it still like difficult? Were you still in contact with your family? What was going through your mind? So it was okay move? because I went and lived. I boarded with a lady who was really old. She was 27. Um, <laughs> yeah, really old. <laughs> so she had uh, one other flatmate as well. So the three of us lived together, and that was a really good transition for me because I didn't have to pay for all of the different things individually. I just paid a set amount and um, my food and my so room you and everything was... into it. Yeah, you, you were able covered. to ease into it with a really good situation. Yeah. So so growing up then I hadn't, didn't have any expectations of a job or anything of where I would go. As a female then... It was expected that I'd just be a secretary or mum would have liked me to be a nurse, <laughs> but that's not my... Not your thing. No. no. Um, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then uh, my uncle, he worked in science, and he told me a story about homogenising a rat and the lid flew off the blender and the rat went all around the lab walls. <laughs> and that inspired me. I was like... That is so fascinating. It's like, I want to do science. Yeah, so, so. it was this blender accident. <laughs> it was... So... Were you there just helping out, or...? I wasn't there. He just told me oh, the story. Oh, he was telling you the story yeah. about the blender. Yeah. And so I, for my last year of school, then I um, took up science subjects, did my last year, and then went and did a science training. Oh, it's amazing how these little moments in life have such a big impact, especially at a very important time when you were trying to figure things out. Yeah. Especially, that sounds just like you, too, <laughs> after getting to know you a little bit. Like, oh, the blender flop? That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm in. Like, let's do it. Like, I'm jumping in. Yeah. And then you started to get your degree or the certific- the scientific certificate. Yeah, a New Zealand certificate in science. And yeah, at a time when women usually don't do that either. So you just jumped right in. Like, okay. Um, so... I went off to Polytech and did that and got my job at the end of that year and I'm still there 28 years later. I was going to say, at this point, it seems like your life just started to take off. You you got your job and you loved it. And like you say, you didn't really have any expectations, but then you uh, met and married Craig. Yeah. And from there, you started to not only build your relationship and your family, but build interests together. You said it wasn't always easy, too, because there was always that limbo that was there, even even though it seemed like everything started to fall into place. But when we were talking in the pre-interview, that theme of 
you know, you weren't a girly girl. You didn't grow up with the makeup. You grew up climbing trees. But you also didn't get exposed to sports really early on. So as these two groups formed in life like they normally do, the girls that love shopping and like makeup. And I hate shopping girls. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of them either. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you hate shopping malls and you're not going to go there and hang out with friends at the mall or when you picked up mountain biking there's people that have been doing this for 20 30 years and you're almost just getting started how did you navigate that as well was it the same as when you were growing up in high school or how did you manage that how did you combat the questions in your head of oh I'm not good enough I don't fit in and just um I think like I went into mountain biking from an administrative support perspective and so that was a very natural fit for me uh my strengths are in logistics and organizing things and making sure all my ducks are in a row and so that was a way that I could use those skills um, so that's fine, but that is to a point a one person role. Um, yeah, so I really just facilitate other people being able to do stuff. But well, I'm always learning a, yourself, too. but I'm always an onlooker, though, as in I don't go out riding with those people, um, because I'm useless. <laughs> I'm very slow. Oh, and... I wouldn't say you're useless. <laughs> Come on, I'm slow and I'm, um, and I'm not brave. Oh, I still wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, I'm not. There is very that. many different forms of bravery. I wouldn't say it's that. Like, I'm not inspired. I don't like getting hurt. Mountain bikers get hurt all the time. Yeah. Um, but I do like being out in the fresh air and stuff. So, Of course, yeah. when you say that you're inadequate and you can't keep up, you're also talking about the video you showed me. Do you know some of those guys? Because that's like the Commonwealth Games where the yeah, people I'm... are ranked in the world. So are yes, your friends I'm... ranked on the world stage? Anyone Absolutely. would feel inadequate during that. I know, and that is kind Anybody. of my problem. The people I hang out with are awesome. World-caliber <laughs> so... mountain bikers. <laughs> so some of the best in the world. Um. Yeah, so I don't see just the normal people. But no. I love that saying <laughs> that if you're out doing anything, you're ahead of the people on the couch. Yes. So. Well, that's a wonderful saying. And you are. And it seems like you very smartly played your strengths to enter the community. And that from there, you get to learn. Of course, if you're in the community, people are going to teach you some things when you're on the trail or... It, it's definitely okay that you don't take the harder route, but they can help you navigate and learn the skills yeah, well, along the way. I mean, apart from the fact that when you're busy doing administration, you don't actually have a lot of time to do the exercise yourself. That's but I, true. <laughs> I really love um, building tracks. I love. I think that while I'm not creative in a girly girl kind of way, I think everybody is creative in some way. Yeah. And I love thinking about how to create tracks and where they can go and seeing it's enormously satisfying seeing the enjoyment that other people get from going and enjoying your, what you've created. Yeah. So, um, so that is kind of my creative outlet. And 
it's um it's great <laughs> swinging a grubber or yeah uh, wielding a spade that um that gives you that physical exercise without needing to be particularly good at it oh, yeah I, I definitely agree that i mean creativity can come in infinitely in many forms it's impossible to narrow creativity to one space and it seems like you have had to navigate very it wasn't really a set path you almost had to build your own like a track yeah like a mountain bike track so you're almost a master in finding what the route that you need to go is so i guess to wrap up the podcast and like thanks for coming on this is a really interesting <laughs> story for me so. especially to absorb but for someone that's also struggling between two spaces or in a limbo or trying to break into a new community which seems like you had to do multiple times what would you say to somebody that's also trying to break into a new community um i would say don't be too worried about it because other people don't assume that everybody else feels in control either because most of the time people are just learning things as they go along and you can like the things that you like don't you don't have to like everything just because it's what's popular what's cool it's like learn to find your own taste of the kind of things that you like to do or the kind of music that you like to listen to or whatever i love it and that's a very powerful message because i think a lot of people fall into that trap of everyone else is so much better than me everyone knows what's going on and i'm the only one that doesn't it's completely not true <laughs> and you are a perfect example and you know that very very well being able to break into many communities and find your way yeah. no problem so thank you, Rebecca, for coming on the show. This has been a fantastic time. <laughs> and I hope everyone listening out there has gotten as much out of this as I have. Go. Cool. We'll come visit New Zealand. You. Yeah, come visit New Zealand. <laughs> if It's the best place. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk soon. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. Thanks again, Rebecca Traegertha, for coming on the show. Thanks so much for your generosity. We will never forget the time that we had on the South Island. Keep up to date on everything going on on the big sabbatical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and the blog by my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbach at G-I-S-H-Gishoutofwater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the oyster jams. Check him out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind the scenes plus some unique shopping tips, so don't miss out. Thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks, but until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around